The Gospel reading this morning is taken from John, the 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. I'm reading from the New International Version. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is God's word. He will bless us as we read and obey it. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. At the end of my mother and father's bed growing up was a dark mahogany hope chest. From time to time, not really very often, but from time to time I would explore the treasures that were hidden there, a velvety down feather comforter, a family Bible, a marriage certificate, boxes with endless pictures in them, but the most intriguing and mysterious portion of that chest was at the very bottom of black tin box with a group of letters tied together with a red ribbon and the unmistakable marks of bright red lipstick sealed with a woman's kiss on each envelope. When my parents died, my sister Carol told me that that stash was our mother's letters to our father during World War II. I had never opened them, but now I look forward to pouring over them to have the privilege of a window into mother and father's life, their soul, their Kind of a picture of the love which forged my brother and sister and myself. Oh no, Carol said. You'll never see them. I burned them. Every one. Those letters was their private world. They were meant only for each other's eyes. And that's the way now they will stay forever. Now, whether Carol was right to do that or not, she was terribly right about something about love. Love, if we find it, or if it finds us, is something central and deep and intimate and personal. It is a treasured wellspring of our lives. If we find it, or if love finds us, it makes us who we are, and it changes us forever. Christmas is the story of love. It's the story of love which sought us. And it is the possibility of a season in which it can and will find us. We've looked at Advent themes of peace and of hope. Today we look at love, the love that made us and which promises to remake us. Jesus shocked his biblically literate contemporaries in which he told them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, there's no commandment greater than these. In one summative sentence, in one breath, Jesus taught that all the commandments of God are carried up under the umbrella of love. Every word, every story of the Old Testament, every law, every commandment, Every jot and tittle of truth, Jesus says, finds its final completion in love. Paul said the same thing. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. The Bible declares God is love. Now, I have shared before the insight that C.S. Lewis makes that we are truncated in our initial understanding of love by the fact that it is so multifaceted. We're limited by the English language in which we just have one word. And the same word has to do work for things we fall into and out of like a mud puddle. We use the same word to speak of our favorite song, our mates, our children, our parents, our favorite desserts, our dogs, our spouses. And to correct that, Lewis uh, opens up the four words the Greek language has as being a little bit better, and he goes through them. I've gone through them with you before. Storge, affection like we have for pets. Philia, friendship like we have for those that we have something deeply and lifelong in common. Eros, romantic love, object-centered love in which we try to attach our lives and find our completion in another. And agape. Subject-controlled love, that love which makes its beloved lovely in its own loving of her. Facets of love. In this sermon, I want to go into another direction. Certainly, there are also common threads that are at the core of all these dimensions of love. I've given you a suggestion that has helped me on other occasions. Love is the indefatigable decision always to will and work for the best of another. If I say, I love you, it is the promise always to work for your best. This morning I have another candidate. Love is a commitment that knows no end. So Christmas is the story that God chose to love us and has never stopped and he never will. But having said that, let's give a rejoinder. Whatever God's love is, it isn't sentimental. Again, C.S. Lewis helps us. God's love, he writes, is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. It's the consuming fire. It's the love that makes the worlds. This morning I want to look at the love of Christmas, the love out of which God made the world and out of which he promises to remake everything. It is the love that he invites the church to rest in and to live in and to share and show with others. One commentator in John 3.16 says, The word that speaks of the largest, the grandest, the greatest thing in the world is only two letters long. It's the word so. In the phrase, God so loved the world. 1 John 3, 1 can be translated, How great is the love, or in the old King James, What manner of love is this? It's really an idiom. It means, what country does this love come from? What planet, what nation, tribe does this love come from? It's a way of saying, This love is amazing. This love is off the scale. This love is so distinctive and so unique that it seems to come from another planet. I wondered how we could illustrate that. You know, I'm an English major, and I remembered there was a time in which our greatest artists and writers were informed and infused by the Christian message and gospel, and we learn something of that from them. Less so today. Perhaps that day will come again. But Lorraine 
Hansberry was an African-American writer that wrote a great play, Raisin in the Sun. And in a scene that has always haunted me, the setup is that the father of the family passes away and they get a $10,000 insurance policy, which has several promises of fulfillment of dreams. It could take him from the ghetto of Harlem into a suburban home with a white picket fence and the kind of comforts and niceties that that family had never known. It, it promised to finance the medical school education of the brilliant daughter in that family, but there was a kind of an out-of-luck son, a brother, who pleaded with the family, said, I have a friend and we have a business opportunity. If you let me have the money, we'll be able to prosper in my life. My ship will come in. I'll be able to repay you. And all the dreams of the family will come true. And against the mother's better instincts, she gives the son the money and he goes off and you can see how the story is going to continue. The friend absconds from town with the entire account and the brother and the son come back home and the sister rails him out with every epithet she could think of and when she goes for a breath the mother mother intercedes and says I thought I taught you to love him and the daughter answers love him there's nothing left to love mother says there's Always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, you ain't learned nothing. Have you cried for your brother yet today? I don't mean for yourself or for the family that the money's gone. Child, what do you think is the time to love somebody the most? When they've done good and made things easy for everybody? Well, then you ain't through learning. Because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest and can't believe in himself because the world done whipped him so, when he starts measuring somebody, measure him right, child. Measure him right. Make sure you're done taking into account what hills and valleys he done come through before he got to where he is. That's grace. That's love that is not deserved. That is forgiveness which is not earned. It's a gift that flows like a refreshing stream. How much more loving and forgiving is the Father's love for us? 1 John 3.1 What manner of love is this? What country does it come from? goes on to say we are lavish with this love. Romans 5 says we are flooded by it. We've seen floods this week. It's unstoppable. That's the story of Christmas. Love is personal. Love is real. Love happens. Love comes to us. I said God's love is a consuming fire. It isn't sentimental. Can I just use one sentimental illustration? It probably has, has this dimension too. I came across a story of a teenager who's tired of reading stories to his younger sister. And so he fastened upon the idea of tape recording her favorite stories. And he did. And he brought his little sister and says, Hey, look, there's a recorder. Now, anytime you want to do a story... All you have to do is push the play button and it'll play for you. And this little sister looked at the machine and looked at the machine and stared at the machine and looked back at her brother and said, It doesn't have a lap. (laughs) 
God's love is a consuming fire. It's not exhausted by that kind of sentiment, but God's love is personal. God's love happens. God's love is real, and God's love has a lap. Stephanie and I are reading through an Advent book by Anne Voskamp, and it's amazing. I wondered whether or not to share just summaries of it with you. It's going through the great stories of the Bible and tying them to Christmas, and Just a taste of it. It's Unwrapping the Greatest Gift is the title of the book. It starts in a theologically profound place, not with creation. That's the second day. But the first day is God's promise, God's covenant, God's intention, which stands behind all of creation. And to speak of that, she talks of the root that comes out of Jesse's tree, this stump. God's promise. A stump is always just a place for love to grow, she writes. The next day, creation. Your mind was formed to be wowed by God, wowed by his uncontainable, unending, unconditional, unbeatable, unfailing, unwrappable love. The Garden of Eden. In the garden, we fell for the lie and fell away from God's great love and got lost. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, God found us and unwraps that lying, stealing snake from our feet and wraps his arms around us. And then you can unwrap the very greatest gift of love that never lets you go. The flood. He writes the flood as God's tears over our sin. But at the end, she comes together when floods of bad things happen. If you lead him toward Jesus, you get an ark of love holding you, carrying you, raising you gently up through any flood of sadness that fills the world. Just a few. Abram. Abram followed God to the land that he showed him, believing that God would bless all families, including your family, through a child who would be born under one enormous, blazing, brilliant star of love. Abraham and Isaac. Everywhere. Everywhere God provides presence, just like many years later God's own Miraculous son would carry a wooden cross up a hill to be our very own lamb. The most miraculous presence of the whole world. The whole world is breathing in air everywhere right now, breathing in the love of God. Jacob's letter. Jesus came from heaven to be with you in your hurts. And Jesus is your ladder who wants to give you the gift of letting him carry you up, no matter how far down you've fallen. And just this one, Rahab, Jesus, who painted a rope with his very own love, with his very own blood, and gives himself to you like a red rope, whispers, no matter what you've done, hold on, I love you, and I've got you. Christmas presents tied up with red ribbons are like little red ropes. They tie all our hearts to Jesus the greatest, grandest gift. Every little thing is going to be okay. Because God is working good through every little thing. There's never a night, never a darkness when gifts and miracles and joy aren't coming, coming right to you. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in miracles through everything. Christmas is a season of miracle. It's a season of wonder. And it is so because of the difference between a moral person and a Christian. A moral person thinks that they're earning their way to God. 
A moral person thinks we're doing everything we can and should do to be better in God's sight. A Christian has been grasped by gratitude and understands that the miracle of the Christmas story is that it's a miracle that God could love me. What a joke. What a surprise. What a wonder. What a miracle that God came to me and loved me to life. The wonderful unsentimental love of Christmas turns the story of love we have the world teaches us almost on our head the world teaches us that love makes us the center of everything love comes up in and treasures us but the Christmas story says God's love is so great and so deep that it makes God the center of our life God's love is big and rich enough to direct us to make God our treasure. The miracle of Christmas is that God is the center of our love because that's what we were made by and what we were made for and nothing less and nothing other will ever satisfy us. You have to meet love before you can do love. But before love can be a behavior, it has to become a person to us. So the Christmas story is that in Christ... Love happened. Love became real. Love became personal. And when love meets you like that, if it does, it does change you forever. Often we try and picture the love of God as a smile inside of a circle. But brothers and sisters, the love of God is so awesome that there is not one of us in this room that could stand it if it really hit us. Because to be loved by the eternal God is to have a claim placed on you which reaches from the heights to the depths and beyond. That is the love that we as a church are called to rest in, to live in, to share and to show. We have nothing to tell unless we live in it together. My uh, probably the greatest Christian mentor of my life outside of my family was Paul Homer. He used to say, I wouldn't begin to know how to do evangelism. Unless at the end of sharing the gospel, at the end of pointing people to Christ, I couldn't say, come with me. Come with me on Sunday to a group of people I worship and study and live with. They're not perfect. But Jesus Christ is making a difference for them. They are living differently because Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. That's the love of Christmas. Paul paints it in a picture. He calls it in part, when the church meets together, they greet one another with a holy kiss. I wonder what it is that makes a kiss holy. Richard Seltzer is a surgeon. He's written a book. And in it, he tells of a time in which he had to take a tumor out of a beautiful young woman's face. It was the Kind of one people would stop and appreciate. And he had a cut of nerve in her face. And when she came out of her, uh, not exactly coma, when she came out of her sedation, her husband was in the room and she asked for a mirror. And she looked at her face and it was twisted and misshapen and it hung. And she said, is my face always going to look like this? And Seltzer said, uh, yes, it will. I had to cut a nerve. She was very silent for a long time. 
And then her husband smiled and said, I think it looks kind of cute. And then he wrote, in a scene of such unbearable, tender love that I had to lower my gaze, the husband bent down to kiss her, crooked mouth and all. I'm so close I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers to show her how the kiss still works. To show her how the kiss still works. Maybe that's a holy kiss. Love as I have loved you in Jesus Christ, not just at Christmas, but throughout his life. He took on our nerve-severed twisted, distorted lives that we might know that he loved us with an unimaginable love, that he loved us with a love that would be a forever love, that would know no ending, that would continue without brokenness or barrier or finality. Maybe when people come into our lives, we remember that kind of God. We know and see how we are loved. We worship at a beautiful site. We worship with beautiful music. We worship with talented people. I think the world knows us for all of those things. I hope they know us for a biblical pulpit, and I hope they also know us as a community of love, a community that could be characterized as a people of a holy kiss. God came at Christmas so that we could (coughs) live the lives of beauty, that he created us to be what he made us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for all of us, how grateful we are for your love. We confess before you now we are the undeserving ones. We are the ones twisted by sin. We are the reason for the cross. It's us. Yet you love us. You forgive us. You tell us in you we have nothing to be afraid of. Father, would you pour out your love on all of us, undeserving ones, right now. We ask in the name of Jesus.